I grew up in Saskatchewan, and I lived uh, just outside of Swift Current, uh, about 20 kilometers outside. And when I was in high school, I played on the volleyball and the basketball team. And especially in basketball, I remember that we would have early morning practice before school. And so obviously the bus wasn't coming to pick me up, so that meant my brother and I, we would drive in together. And as you think about Saskatchewan and early, early in the morning of January, in January, think cold, um, you know, as you guys know it here, really cold and down there in Saskatchewan, really windy. And so it's just miserable out there. Of course, that wouldn't motivate us to get up early enough to go out and start the car and have the car all nicely warmed up. Um, most mornings on those when we had to get to school early, we would get there probably, you know, we would get there with enough time to let the car warm up for about 30 seconds, then we got to hit the road. And so we would take off down the road. The car is pumping out cold air. We're sitting on car seats, but they feel like blocks of ice sucking every bit of energy that you have in your body out of it. You're supposed to hold on to a steering wheel. It feels like icicles. And you're looking through a little hole that you scraped off in the windshield about this big, right? And for the first couple of miles, you can't breathe because if you start to breathe, you're going to close up that little hole and now you're driving blind. And that was our experience. You think we'd learn from it? We didn't. We just kept doing it over and over again. And you know, and until you're about 10 kilometers down the road and then you can finally see again. As we think about what would be that experience in 2023, I would wake up in the morning and as I was going for my breakfast, I'd get my key fob and I hit the button and the automatic car start would start the car up. I would get into the car, which now has been warming nicely, and instead of sitting on a block of ice, I sit on a heating pad because I have heated seats. When I grab the steering wheel, it's a heated steering wheel. We, as a culture, are not great at suffering. We are great at finding ways to make sure we never have to suffer. And so we come up with all kinds of creative ways to make sure that whatever we experience will be ease and joy. And yet, when we come to the passage here at the end of 1 Peter 3, we realize that we don't have an app for what the issue is that Peter's going to bring. We don't have a device. We don't have a motivational speaker that can help us through it. We are going to face a world in which suffering is inevitable. And we have to learn what it is to deal with it. And I think that this message for the Canadian church, we are on the cusp. We have gone from a place where, you know, in generations past, the church was respected and had a high place. We went through a time where the church was just, yeah, they're just kind of those Jesus people over there, just ignore them. And there can be a time coming where we're not ignored, but we're seen as the problem. That's where the hate speech comes from. That's where those values that undermine what we want our society to be, and we can become a target. And so I think that Peter's message, which was given to a first uh, century church, to teach them about suffering is becoming more and more re relevant to us in 21st century Canada every single day. And so it is a message that we need to take serious. And so as we start, First um, Peter chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, we will uh, start in verse 17. So it says, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And 
what you come up with here is, you know, and first point, this idea that if you think following Jesus gives you a crutch so that life will be easy, you're wrong. Following Jesus is not for wimps. Um, because the first thing that we have to learn is that suffering is something that we are kind of promised. As, you know, it says, for it is better if it is God's will that you suffer. We have almost a promise that you can expect to suffer. God could ask us to suffer. There and at that moment, we have to be ready. And there isn't an app for that. And there isn't a way to get around that. No, God has called you to suffer and to go through hard things. Secondly, from this verse, we can see that we can suffer for doing what is right. That we can do everything right. We can treat people with respect and honor. We can do all these and still find ourselves the object of suffering. That we are being taken to task and to cause to suffer. And you can say, wow, that's a nasty God who makes us do that. Why would you ever follow? And it's because of the next verse where it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins. For Christ also suffered. Jesus is not asking you to do something that he was not willing to do himself. As we think about that, oh, this isn't fair, I'm suffering. It's like, no, Jesus came and suffered first. And as unjustly and as unfairly as you and undeservingly as you suffered, guess what? It wasn't nearly as undeserving as what Jesus suffered. Jesus has not asked you to do anything that he was not willing to do first. The good news, though, is that where it says, but Jesus suffered once for sins. And what I want to say is that suffering is temporal. It is not eternal. Jesus, who is our model in suffering, as Peter will say, look at Jesus as your model to learn how to suffer. That'll come in the next verse. And Jesus' suffering was temporal. You may be going through it right now. Maybe it's going to start in the near future. And when you're in the midst of it, it there is no joy. It is a bad situation, but we know it's not eternal, that this will end. The second thing that we can see is what is the goal of suffering as we read in that verse for Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous it was the righteous for the unrighteous it was suffering now we often we can think about a lot of different reasons why we can suffer sometimes we have to suffer for things for our own benefit we're going to do a little quiz here, a little audience participation. I'm going to show you a picture of a sign, and I'm curious how many of you know where this sign hangs in Three Hills. How many people have seen this particular sign? Does anybody know where it is? Oh, Physiotherapy. I've got a friend. Um, <laughs> Yes, it hangs in the physiotherapy department of uh, the Three Hills Medical Center. Every couple of weeks, I go in there, I look at that, and I go, oh, is that ever going to be true here in a couple of minutes? Um, 
Physiotherapy departments have been around for a long time in the Middle Ages. They called them torture chambers. Um, <laughs> and it is, no. Um, in all seriously, I really appreciate my physiotherapist. I, have a, I had a bike accident a number of years ago and my right shoulder is really messed up. One day I will get a new shoulder, as uh, my orthopedic surgeon tells me, but not right now. And the only thing that's keeping me pain well, relatively pain-free is my physiotherapist. And, and yet, when I go in there, I know that it's going to hurt. Um, and she does this stretching, and there's the one that I, I, I haven't told her this, but every time she starts to do it, I think this is the crucifixion stretch, you know? And it's like I'm going to be hung up on the cross here. Um, and it doesn't feel good then, but I know that it feels better after she has stretched it out. And then I can sleep pain-free, um, for the next week because it was stretched out by her. And so um, very much, very appreciate that. But that's not the kind of suffering that Peter is talking about here because it's one thing to go through suffering when I know I'm the one who's going to benefit, that I'm going to get something out of it. And, you know, I mean, all of us will know that we're not always that good. You know, like I like to say, oh yeah, I always do the hard thing because I know it's better. No, I'll do the bad thing. I'll go get those chips and I'll start eating them or something like that. And so that can be something. On the other hand, you can go for where we know pain and we do that for our kids or for those in our inner circle and we will go through suffering. I remember just a very simple example when we were missionaries in Niger in the middle of the Sahara Desert and in the middle of the night, all of a sudden you'd realize, oh no, the power just went off. And Lorraine and I would jump up, one take uh, Mitchell's room and the other take Ariana's room and start fanning the kids. Um, because there you are, the, the temperature in the house is just going to go up, up, and up. And if, you know, before they wake up, just start fanning them. Hope the power outages for 15 minutes. Sometimes it was two hours in the middle of the night. You're up there fanning. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a small thing, but it felt like I was suffering huge at that moment. And, but it was worth it to let my kids sleep. That's another kind of level of suffering that we're willing to do. And guess what? That's not what Peter's talking about here. Not at all. He's talking about um, we must be ready to suffer for those who actually hate us, that we are. And I'm sure here that Peter is remembering back to the Sermon on the Mount that he heard Jesus give decades earlier, where Jesus said, what you have heard it said is, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And why did Jesus tell his disciples to do that? So that they may know that you're, the ch you're a child of my heavenly Father. Because that's what sets people apart. People don't do that normally, and yet that is the model that Jesus gave when it says that, um, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And Jesus went through that death so that you could be made alive. When you were an enemy, Paul said in Romans, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's when Christ suffered, when we were his enemies. And he did that for those who did not love him. And in fact, many of them most all hated him. 
Now, Peter goes on into the next verses, which are really, I think, the hardest to interpret in, in the book of 1 Peter. And so we're going to try to do this without splitting the church, talk about this. So after being made alive, he went and made proclamation. It means he went and preached to the imprisoned spirits. Okay, where are these imprisoned spirits? It says, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Okay, so now here's this verse about all of a sudden Jesus went and preached to spirits that are dead and you're kind of wondering, and you know, I came up with a conclusion as I studied. If you want to know absolutely, without, with complete certainty, what does this mean? Pick one commentary, read it, and never read another commentary on it, and you can say, that's what it means. Because as soon as you pick up the second one, you have two opinions. You pick up four, six, you have four, six opinions. Everybody's got a different opinion. And, you know, one of the things that I draw from that is that we are not specifically supposed to say, what did Jesus do in this interim period after he died in the resurrection? Is that what we're talking about here? Because if it was, Peter was very ineffective in doing it because everybody's got a different opinion. But he's talking about, you know, who, Jesus died for the unrighteous. And he now kind of goes back to Noah. And that was a time way back in history. And in fact, was the first universal kind of cataclysmic destruction and judgment on humanity. We know that in the Garden of Eden, there was a judgment. But Adam and Eve didn't die that day. Lots of people, when the flood started, they died that day. And so he's going back to that huge first judgment, and he's talking about that, that those are the people that Jesus suffered for. And then he says that, uh, you know, he jumps from the people who didn't believe in that day to in it, in the ark, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And then he talks about Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their, uh, their wives, so eight in all, that were actually saved. And they were saved because of Jesus. And then he brings it up to the front, makes a quick um, flip that uh, the ark was being built. It was only eight, it was only a few people, eight in all, who were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. And this is a bit of a, you know, I mean, Peter is somebody who can make intuitive jumps here, is, is what I'm seeing, you know. And yet he's making the jump to say that, you know, as Noah's family was saved through the water, and now you're saved through the water of baptism, the people in his day, and, and we can easily extrapolate that all the way up to our day to include us as well. And he says, not baptism in the sense that you get dirt removed from the outside, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. That clear conscience that is guiltless because Jesus died to take our guilt and our shame on the cross. And so what Peter has said is, you know, like who is the scope of who Jesus suffered for? Well, it's for all the way back to the very early times in creation, back to the times of Noah for the evil people that were back there that died because of their sin, for those that were saved, Noah and his family, and then brings it all the way forward. And so, you know, he's showing that this was the scope of which people were saved for, uh, or the scope of, the, of who was saved. It includes all people. That Jesus was dying. He suffered for the cause of all humanity. And now we come to chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, 
Arm yourself also with the same attitude, because you know why? Because you're going to suffer. And he's talking about you're going to suffer for that same scope of people, for the world. That we have to be ready to suffer on, for the cause of the whole world. And he tells us to arm ourselves. And when he says that, that is a term from the battlefield. It has that idea of we put on the armor. It is a preparation. And I want to give you, you know, an insight from this verse when Peter is telling us to arm. You arm yourself before you go into battle. You don't arm yourself once the bullets start flying and the swords start swinging. It's a little late at that point. And it's not going to do you any good. And so what Peter is telling us is that there is suffering coming. Because Jesus suffered, you need to be ready to suffer in the same way. And that's not a very exciting message. It's not one that you want to hear. But it's what you need to hear. And you need to hear that that suffering takes preparation or you won't hold up onto it, under it. And so he tells us that we need to prepare. And because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. This idea that we have suffered in the body in the way that Jesus suffered and died is now that moment where we die with Christ and then we raise to him. We do that. We had baptism here a few weeks ago, and we, we say that about being buried with Christ and risen to new life. And so that's where it says that if we have gone through and become followers of Jesus and we, we are ready to die with Christ, we are done with sin being our master. Paul in Romans chapter 6 says it this way, that reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Sin no longer controls us. Why the emphasis on this? It's because sin is what will disarm us to be ready to, to suffer. In this passage, he will go on that... Uh, so, as a result, in verse 2, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather the will of God. Once we have died to sin and to the world, we can now live for the will of the Father. Verse 3, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. And we can see that you know, in our world today, if you say that, no, we're going to live to a different standard, I'm done with that. And, you know, and why is that such an arch enemy of being armed to suffer? It's because those sinful behaviors are all about pleasing myself. It's all about making myself get everything I want and all that I want. It's all about me. It's very self-centered. Suffering is not self-centered. The suffering that he's talking about here is other-centered. And that's what we need to focus on is that as we arm ourselves, we have to have the will of the Father and not all these human desires that we are there. And he, he promises that they will, be, they will be judged for them. But he ends up in verse 6, for this is the reason that the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standard in regard to the body in the sense that we die to our physical self but then we live according to God in the Spirit. 
And this dying to the physical world, but then being willing to live to the Spirit is what arms us to be ready to suffer. And as I said, I think times are getting more and more difficult for Christians, that we are not held up as the examples of virtue. We're not even considered neutral anymore. We're starting to be seen as we're the problem. And there will be things coming against us. And, you know, and how will we hold up? Will we fight back and we'll show? No, we're to endure and to suffer. Christ is our model. Um, and, you know, as we face this idea of suffering, it can come in a lot of different ideas. And as we, as I have been the missions guy, and I've done this at another school as well, I've had a lot of young people come to me and say, you know, I think God is calling me into cross-cultural work. And I've learned that an important question I need to ask them very soon is what does your family think about that? Because you would be amazed at how many families will say no, no, no. When a child, when a young person tells them, I think God is calling me into this ministry or that ministry or to go to this place. And they say, no, that can't be right. You're staying right here. You're staying around us. And these people, I'm talking about my generation now, we're not willing to release our children to go and to maybe even encourage them to go, even know, knowing that that hurts, that that's going to be a problem. I, you know, God taught me this lesson very early on uh, when my daughter was 21. She took a job with Samaritan's Purse to go to Greece to work with refugees, and I thought, well, isn't that neat? You know, Greece is a long way away, but what a cool place to visit. It was another whole step when she'd been there for about six weeks, and she says, Dad, I think I'm moving to Iraq. And this was 2017, early 2017. The war with ISIS was still raging in Iraq. And so I jokingly said to her, well, they're not going to put you in Mosul, right? She goes, oh, no, I'm going to be an hour outside. And I thought, an hour outside, that's not quite enough for my father's heart. She's 21. And there was one time very early on she was out and you know she lived like an hour outside but they worked much much closer and she phoned me one time she goes do you hear the thunder in the background dad and I was like yeah and he goes it's not thunder that's bombs in Mosul going off and it was like that's too close um that's my 21 year old daughter and you know and you you start to struggle I don't think that's the plan that I have for my daughter. And yet through the work there, and there's all kinds of things that have happened uh, to them in there, different evacuations and all of that, and yet through Samaritan's Purse work in Kurdistan, there is a group called the Yazidis. And the Yazidis are a unique group. They're not Muslim, they're not Christian, they're Zoroastrian, ancient religion. ISIS went after them with a vengeance like they went after no other group. And the kind of trauma and the kind of things they did to them, it's just unspeakable. And yet the other characteristic of the Yazidi is there has never been a Yazidi church. And yet today, there is a Yazidi church that is forming. And it's not because they realize Jesus is the big bad warrior that's going to come and destroy. They realize that Jesus suffered. And so he knows what it is to suffer. They want a God who understands and can walk with them in their suffering. 
And I realized that, you know, as my daughter was there, she got to be an integral part of starting the first Yazidi church in all of history. And you realize that there is, a, is the payoff of why God calls us to suffer. But then as Lorraine and I had an opportunity to go visit us, we went to a refugee camp and we went to another one. But this one was unique. It was for ISIS warriors and ISIS sympathizers. And there they were putting on programs for their children, holding counseling, trauma counseling, because these ISIS warriors, they, they've got trauma issues themselves. And, but it brought home this idea, do I care enough for these people to have my daughter put her life in danger to help them? Suffering, the just for the unjust. That's what God calls us to do. And it's not an easy calling. And it's one that if we decide, maybe in the midst of it, I will try to figure out okay, I'll get ready to suffer once it hits. I'm not going to think about it. And I don't say that we should go and pray to God, send suffering into my life. Um, that's not a prayer I ever pray. But I would ask that you would pray, God, what is it that I need to do to arm myself to be ready for when that suffering comes? And that I would be ready to make the right choice and not to choose for myself, but to choose not my will, but your will be done. And that's my challenge from, for you. I think that's the challenge that Peter had from this passage. For us to be ready, to be armed, so that when suffering comes, we're going to make the right choice. And that's going to come from turning our perspective, not on the world, but onto God's will. And to be able to be disciplined, to focus, and to say, no, that's why I'm here. To study what was it like for Jesus to suffer for us and to realize he's asking us to do something, nothing he has not done, but he is asking us to do what he has done. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God who has not asked us to suffer as you sit in luxury, but you suffered first. You suffer along with us as we suffer now. You walk with us. Father, I, I pray for, for our the church in Canada, I pray for Mount Olive, that we would be a people that would arm ourselves and be ready for when you bring suffering along. That we would not run away from it, but that we would realize that you are walking through us. This is a temporal thing that you can ask of us, and in the end, you will bring your will. Father, make us courageous to ask that question. Give us the courage to make the next step of what it is to prepare ourselves for suffering. And Father, we pray for that, that church that will have to go through the end time suffering. Father, if it's us, have us be ready. If it's not us, if it's the next generation, we pray that you would prepare them, that they would go through and, and lift your name high. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.